Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from Medthority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss all things urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello and welcome back to All Things Urticaria, your UCARE podcast. And today I'm very happy to have with me Ricardo, Ricardo Acero, from one of our most active UCARES in Italy. Hi, Ricardo. Hi, Marcus. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, thank you for, for doing this. And uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation because you have contributed so much with your thinking, but also with your studies and your experiments to our understanding of urticaria. And I want to come right out and uh, ask you, why do people get chronic spontaneous urticaria, Ricardo? Definite answer to this question is not yet available. But anyway, in, in time, we have understood a lot of things about the pathogenesis of this disease, because um, if we think about what we knew only 10 to 15 years ago, that was nearly nothing. So, uh, they, uh, especially after the introduction of the anti-IgE therapy, we became aware that a lot of people has something like a, an autoallergy, and if we eliminate the uh, IgE, the specific IgE that are probably directed against self-allergens, mm -hmm. we can solve the, the, the problem in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. but the same thing tells, uh, tells us that several patients do not respond at all to this treatment or respond in a different way. That means not so promptly, but quite uh, slowly. This means that probably there is something else. Mm -hmm. And this is what we know as chronic spontaneous urticaria, for instance, is probably is an, uh, an umbrella term that includes many different uh, diseases that have a distinct pathogenesis that is leading to the same clinical expression. Isn't, isn't it interesting, Ricardo? No, I think of urticaria, chronic spontaneous urticaria as a poster child disease to teach us that you really need uh, good science and then good treatment to learn about the science, to make better science, to make better treatments. You know, in the beginning, there was this uh, finding that you can be allergic to yourself. Then we learned how an anti-allergic, anti-IgE can work or not work. And now we're really looking at different subgroups of chronic spontaneous urticaria. Very interesting. Yeah, exactly. But I think that is also, in, in, in a certain sense, the, the effect of all the um, biological treatments, because the biological treatments have all a very specific target. And uh, as far as you block one single specific target, you can have uh, several different results. That means that you probably have subsets of, the, of that disease and that were absolutely not uh, um, known before and yeah. also unpredictable before. Absolutely. It's absolutely interesting, the use of this uh, biological therapy to understand more about the pathogenesis of the diseases. Instruments for teaching us, you know, and in, in especially in chronic spontaneous urticaria, what has been tried? Uh, Anti-L5, 
works in some patients. Anti-L413 works in some patients. Uh, Anti-L17 works in some patients. So it's, it, it's clear to me that different drivers are relevant, important, and need to be targeted in different patients with the same disease. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But also the different actors that are playing a role in this comedy uh, um, show us that we have the mast cell that probably is the final and most important actor, but at, uh, um, upwards you can find the, the lymphocytes or the, the B cells and, and also the eosinophils and the basophils and uh, each of these cells produce a lot of different cytokines that have different effects. And these uh, cells may have a different relevance uh, from one patient to another. So this makes this, uh, th this whole picture extremely complex, but also extremely stimulating because we have to work and still have to work a lot to understand fully what is happening. I, have, I also have to comment that Unfortunately, the nothing about the biological, no one of the biological therapies currently available, not only for, for orticaria, of course, but also for a lot of other, uh, of other diseases, uh, provide a definitive cure. That means you block something and the, 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 the drug works only until you give it. So yeah. as soon as you stop it, things can start again as before. So uh, probably the solution is upwards. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think of it the same way, really, Ricardo. You know, the mast cell in the middle, and then we need to figure out what activates the mast cells, and we need to figure out what mast cells do. This, these are all potential targets. And I agree also with you, we're not at the bottom of the problem yet, because if we don't understand what starts this whole process, that then makes mast cells uh, these bad guys in the skin to produce all the signs and symptoms. We will not be able to cure and cure we want. We're happy that we have treatments that bring control to patients in terms of their uh, uh, signs and symptoms. But what we want in the end is to be able to do something that stops the disease for good forever. No? Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, we are very happy that now uh, we are able to block the, the, the disease also in severe cases, in a lot of cases, this was not possible uh, until we started using, for instance, omalizumab, but, uh, well, we succeeded in doing this, but with much more uh, side, uh, side effects uh, using cyclosporin, for instance, or cyclophosphamide or, or other things before. But of course, these are uh, drugs that have no specificity. So we have a lot of uh, side effects that uh, go well beyond the, 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 the treatment of, of chronic uh, spontaneous orticaria. Yeah. But of course, the, the more we go on in uh, studying what is happening in this disease, the better we are, we'll be able probably to cure all the subsets of the, of the patients. And one good solution could be also to use something uh, that is blocking completely the mast cell, that is a final actor of, of the process. For instance, uh, the new drugs that are being tried like Siglec 8 
uh, activators for uh, this cyclic is a inhibitory uh, receptor that is blocking absolutely the the the, the cell the, the mast cell also for instance bruton tyrokinase inhibitors uh, for instance uh, the the, the remibrutinib is being tried uh, currently mm. and it's probably this is probably a very selective uh, new drug and could find its way to the clinical use at the end I agree. Absolutely. These are fascinating and very powerful new treatment approaches to silence mast cells, to deplete them, uh, to shut down their signal transduction machinery, and in case of Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitors, maybe even to downregulate the autoantibodies that drive mast cell degranulation. But let me challenge you here, Ricardo. This will not lead to a cure. What do we have to do to cure this disease? What experiments are needed? Well, I think that I, I could respond you with another question. That means, how can we stop people having, for instance, systemic lupus erythematosus? That means, uh, if we go back to the origin of the autoimmune disease, where, where the anti autoantibodies and also a lot of cells and cytokines play an important role, I think that there, there is probably much uh, genetic predisposition to develop these these uh, diseases. This is probably also the same, I think, for for the allergy. For for uh, you know, I'm I'm an allergist, and and no, not everybody is getting allergic to pollen, for instance. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But Ricardo, let's stay with autoimmunity. I accept your challenge, and I respond to you with another challenge. Most patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria lose their disease, go into spontaneous remission after many years. So it seems that nature, the human body, already has a mechanism in place to stop this disease. What do we need to do to figure out how nature does it so that we can help to do it earlier, target it? Well, this is a very good question. I think that Mm, we uh, uh, all know that there has been uh, uh, several theories that uh, autoimmune disease may be uh, initiated by, for instance, viral infections. And so we can have uh, the recognition or the false recognition of, a, of an enemy that might give birth to the autoantibodies. Uh, there are, again, something that is... Uh, uh, belonging to ourselves, but was at the beginning produced against something that is outside in the, in the environment. So I think that um, probably there are several environmental uh, factors that may play a role in activating or um, not activating the, the, the urticaria. There are people that have severe chronic urticaria for 10 years and then go into remission. We don't know exactly what happened, but probably something changed in, the, uh, changed yeah. in their immune system. We yeah. don't have a, an answer, a precise answer to this, but we have to also to, to, to uh, accept this. In other cases, in other immune diseases, this, doesn't, this is not the case. Yeah. We, we told about uh, uh, systemic lupus erythematosus before, probably if we don't have a therapy, the patient has a bad prognosis because they have a lot of 
different uh, problems in different organs, uh, skin or, or heart or, or kidney or, or, or liver and so on. Yeah. So in this case, chronic spontaneous urticaria is able to get into remission spontaneously. Sometimes this happens. Sometimes it never happens. But okay, we have to accept it and move our clinical activity uh, looking at, at these facts. Ricardo, you said something very interesting uh, before, and that is uh, you're an allergist, I'm also an allergist, um, and we do not know who uh, becomes allergic, but we can help people lose their allergy, right? We can do specific immunotherapy and cure the disease. Now, we all know, that chronic spontaneous urticaria, at least in most patients, is not an allergy, no? But I think you and I, we have a really good sense that there is a sizable su subgroup of patients with auto-allergy, where IgE to autoallergens drives the disease. So would it not make sense to try to tolerate patients to these autoantigens, to do specific immunotherapy with, um, I don't know, thyroid peroxidase or interleukin-24 or any of these other autoallergens that have been described for chronic spontaneous urticaria? This is a very fascinating hypothesis. Um, I think that the first thing we, we should do to approach patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria in this way would be to uh, detect precisely which are the autoallergens these people are sensitized to. Because in the fantastic study that your, you and your group uh, carried out some uh, years ago about the autoallergens, you were able to find more than 200 autoallergens. And I think that not all the patients are reacting with IgE against all these autoallergens, but probably you have a specificity for each patient. That's the right. result is the same. So we have to develop probably for, uh, at first uh, diagnostic uh, means to, to detect who is autoallergic to what, and then we can think that we, if it is possible to desensitize these patients against some autoallergen. Yeah. Probably, for instance, my, my, my and my group showed that also there may be an overlap between autoallergy and autoimmunity, and this changes the way these uh, people is responding to anti-IgE therapy. Yeah. So things are extremely complex, and probably uh, we are, I think, still far from such a solution. But it's, it's fascinating to discuss this, and also. Even the thing that we are just now discussing these aspects that were absolutely uh, absent 10 years ago means that we are uh, making a lot of progress in this field. Making a lot of progress and really lucky to be, to be alive in these times uh, of urticariology uh, and all these insights. And, you know, many, many of them come from you, so don't be so modest. Um, I think this is a really interesting concept, the overlap between autoimmunity, maybe even uh, the shift from one form to the next one over time, a bit similar to what we see in atopic dermatitis, where you also see that signals shift over time and the disease becomes different, becomes different in its response to treatment. Ah, it's fun to be a urticariologist these days, isn't it? Yes, but... 
uh, what what you are telling is fantastic because we have patients that have chronic spontaneous urticaria associated with inducible urticaria, people yeah. that have only inducible urticaria, people that have chronic spontaneous urticaria and thyroid autoimmunity, and people that do not have. And other people have an exacerbation by non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, and this happens only in 15% of patients. And that means that 85% do not. And every everybody has his own uh, uh, particularities, let's say. So it's a, it's a peculiarity for each patient. If only we could ask mast cells why they do what they do in each patient. No, that would be fun. What would be the question that you ask if you could speak mast cell? I, would, I you... would ask the mast cell, who is activating you? Ah, there you go. <laughs> Who or what are, is activating you? Because, because I think that I, I think that at the end the mast cell is something like an innocent bystander, bystander, or, or at least not innocent, because it has a very active part or the most active part. But it's not personally responsible. It's we are not talking about about mastocytosis. Yeah. There is something else that is activating these cells, and we have to go to that. I agree with you. They're not bad by nature. No, let's give them that. They are, well, they're manipulated. They're instrumentalized by someone who wants to use their power to make us sick and have chronic spontaneous urticaria. And that's where we need to go one level deeper to find the root of the problem. No, we can target mast cells, we can take them out, we can silence them, we can stop their activation, but we need to go one step further to the root of the problem. Exactly. Ricardo, I could be doing this all day. This is so much fun. Uh, we have to do it again, but our time is up. Um, thank you so much for uh, your discussion. Thank you for your contributions to mast cellology, to urticariology, and of course, to the UK network. And thank you very much for, for your invitation. It was a great pleasure to be here. It's always a, a great pleasure to have the possibility to discuss these uh, these problems and these issues with, with other experts. Thank you very much, really. And that, folks, brings us to the end of another episode of All Things Urticaria. We discuss interesting questions and problems. And if you have a suggestion, a question, a comment that would make us Pick a new episode with a new topic. Please do reach out to us. We're looking forward to that. With that, let me say goodbye to Ricardo. Thank you very much. And uh, I hope to see you in Hiroshima for our UCARE conference in December. I hope to see all of you there. Be well, stay safe, and goodbye until the next episode of All Things Urticaria. Thank you very much, Bo. Goodbye. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.